everybody welcome to episode 43 of the everyday sense podcast we have a live stream edition coming to you on a friday night we've got a bit of a different vibe going on here we're going post game for the everyday sense podcast i'm jack richardson joined by brennan parks brennan how you doing tonight after a sense preseason victory i'm doing good yeah even better than that they won uh, obviously improved to three and one in the preseason so that that is awesome to see uh i think there are a lot of takeaways here and we didn't talk about the game against montreal yet either so we'll touch on that tonight too um but yeah tonight i thought that they they honestly looked a little bit flat for a lot of the game even though they had a lot of their stars playing but yet they still came up with the victory and they still got decent performances out of the top guys again as we've seen um but i think moreover it, it was a game that kind of demonstrated their depth I think there was a couple of guys who we're going to get into our takeaways, our standouts. A couple of guys really stood out who I feel are battling for a spot. So uh, th- those were my bigger takeaways from tonight. But yeah, I'm doing good. Um, for you, it, it's 10 p.m. Probably for most people watching, it's 10 p.m., right? Uh, I feel just as tired as you guys. Don't worry. So uh, yeah, we're going to get into it, though. Like, uh, What did you think of this game and, and who stood out to you? Yeah, like you like you mentioned here, lots lots to get into. I feel like we've been saying that every single time we get on now, which is a great feeling. It sends hockey. It's almost October. We can stop saying is it October yet? Some front office news that we will get into eventually. We wanted to do a live stream after one of these games because we didn't have time to break down Wednesday's preseason game. So we'll mix in a little bit of that as well. It'll be a lot of uh, depth discussions, just who's who looked good in both games because Wednesday's loss to Montreal was clearly just a. Uh, you know, uh, uh, figure out who your depth pieces are. Tonight was much more of a stable lineup. I think Kachuk would have been in there. Norris would have been there if health permitted. Um, so yeah, tonight, I'll start, we'll start with tonight for sure because, uh, I mean, this was clearly on paper, the Sens were a much, much better team. This was an AHL squad for Winnipeg, a lot of young guys in, in net. Lauren Brossois will probably be their backup, I want to say. He played very well, actually. It was a really good goaltending game, I thought. That was the first thing I I thought of right away, including the Sens goalies. Mandelizzi and Marilinen were fantastic tonight. Uh, Mando in particular was very good in my eyes. There's a lot of players we can talk about, man, because I think going through the season, and I've obviously I've done the postcast with the Locked On Senators, um, and, and they they you kind of get in a groove. You look for certain guys, and you talk about certain players. We can talk about every single guy on this team tonight, but we'll try and narrow it down to just a few guys. Um I liked what I saw for the most part. I think what I noticed early on in the game, especially guys were just fighting the puck a little bit, which is going to happen. It's the first second preseason game for a lot of them. Um, That's what preseason is for. So I think that when I see stuff like that, like Timmy kind of struggled with the puck on his stick a little bit tonight, obviously he's still the best player on the ice by a mile, but um, that's kind of the first thing I noticed. And they were struggling to make some plays power play, both units. I went in thinking that we would have a better idea of what they're going to be. I left feeling a bit more confused, I think, because I'm not sure who's going to be where. Um, That was immediately my first take or my first thoughts. Uh, Quickly, though, as well, defense looked really, really fun to watch. And I don't want to say they look great because they 
there were a lot of chances against whatever it was, but very fun. I think we're in for a fun year if all these guys are healthy at the same time. We definitely are. I mean, we, we got our first taste of top four action, right? With uh, We had five of the six regulars playing, obviously. There was Shabbat, Chikrin, Sanderson, Zub, and then Brandstrom was playing with uh, Lassie Thompson, who, by the way, led the Sens in ice time by five minutes tonight. If you didn't know, he, he played 27 minutes. Next up was Thomas Shabbat at 22. So Thompson getting, obviously, a huge chance under DJ Smith. I love to see that. Of course, I already saw one comment pointing at his turnover. He... Uh, like everybody was tweeting about how well he like how good he looked on Twitter. And then he immediately proceeded to hand the puck away and it ended up in Winnipeg's only goal. So uh, obviously some ups and downs for Thompson, but overall I think like he was a standout for me just because his skating, right? Like right in the first period, I posted a clip so smooth. He takes it from the defensive zone, transitions to offense, gets the exit, gets the entry. And then he makes a pass to Batherson, which almost results in a great a chance. And he just loses it at the end of the play. But regardless, like I think Thompson was kind of a play driver tonight. And I've said this for a while, defense, everybody talks about the top four and Brandstrom, obviously, but like, I think the sixth spot should be open. I am not on board with this whole Hamannick is a lock for that spot because frankly, even last game, I mean, Hamannick did not play very well. Like he, he honestly cost them a couple of goals, I think, based on the way he was playing and made a lot of mistakes. And, and don't get me wrong, Hamannick's a great leader, um, great veteran to have around. And he's obviously not going anywhere because they signed him to a, a full no move clause, can't even send him down or anything. Um, but I think that Thompson showed he can play tonight. I think that Nicholas Matampolo showed that he could play in the first game. Uh, and I think that there's a few other guys who, who are kind of pushing Travis Hamannick and Jacob Bernard Docker, who neither of whom have looked all that good. So um, the defense is an interesting point. But yeah, like you said, very fun. I thought, again, Shabbat looked decent on the right side. He, I noticed, again, he made some mistakes, right? We kind of talked about that before. But he did some good things, too. I think his exit passes have been tremendous playing on the right side. Uh, he's one-timing more. It's kind of strange because Chikrin's got that obvious blast, and yet it's Shabbat that's kind of taking more shots on the right side. It doesn't really make sense, but I'm sure that the players kind of decided who wants to play where in that sense. I think that's probably a preference thing. Regardless, I thought he and Chikrin looked really good together again. It, it's much better than the whole stack the left side and then have like compliments on the right side that they tried last year. I really like seeing Shabbat and Chikrin out there for 22, 24, 26 minutes a night. That's going to be like unstoppable. It's just so like such firepower, you know, like they, they're so good both ways. Uh, and Chikrin too, by the way, scored another goal. They ruled it a hand pass. This would have been his third goal of the preseason. And it was ruled a hand pass because Yuri Schmikal, um, another standout of mine, Schmikal kind of touched it with his hand. It was questionable. I, I think he, it, it hit Schmikal's blade after and then Chikrin tapped it in. Either way, yeah, the defense was probably the biggest thing just because they look so fun and so dominant in the defensive zone as well. Um, but yeah, I think Schmikal will get onto him because he, in my mind, uh, has gone up in regards to stocks, whereas Zach McEwen has gone down. And McEwen tonight, I think, played the least of any Sen. He's played a few games, but he has just really not looked that good to me. And they signed him to a three-year deal, league minimum, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's still three years. Like, the guy's going to be here. And, and we said from the beginning he should be a 13th forward. He's still been on Mark Kastelik's line the entire training camp, so I'm still thinking they're planning to play him uh, at the start of the season. But I think Sending Yuri Schmikal to Belleville at this point, from what we've seen, would be kind of criminal. He has been, like, really good. He's had a, a role in the power play. Uh, he showed tonight there was one shift. He, he was using his body. Uh, he kept the puck in the zone by, by just literally outworking the opposition, shoving him against the wall, stealing the puck. He wins battles. He's huge. He's Hulk. Like, I, I'm really impressed by the guy, and I think that he should have a spot on this roster. Um 
And then obviously people are kind of frustrated with Parker Kelly too. So there's a lot here. There, there's all sorts of battles going on. But my point is that I think what the coaching staff seems to be leaning towards in like a fourth line of Kelly, Kastelik, McEwen, and then Hamannick in the sixth spot, and then Jacob Renardocker on the seventh spot, I think all of those roles should be up for grabs. Like, I don't think that should be locked in at all. Ottawa has more than enough guys. How about Roby Yerventi tonight? Obviously not an ideal fourth line player, but he's been dominant too. Like, they have so many guys who are contributing more than the guys who are technically locks according to the staff right now and, and what we've, from what we've seen in camp and lineups so yeah those, those are kind of my brief takeaways from tonight's game uh, and then obviously like Claude Giroux scoring just a, a disgusting goal <laughs> and and you were right like it kind of looked like Tim and, and then they were kind of I don't want to say like lackadaisical but they were kind of taking a step back from where they started the preseason they were being a little more goofy with the puck trying to make plays trying to just force passes stuff like that maybe the effort wasn't quite there as we saw in the first couple games regardless I don't care they still won three to one uh and, and even if they got outplayed a little bit they still won like it, it's that's all that matters right so uh, as tim said you know it's all about winning and then they managed to win so good game tonight and good game on wednesday even though they lost as well yeah this is the one i'm kind of focusing on more a little bit just because there's way more regulars in the lineup i think i'm going to read a little bit more into who was playing tonight that isn't necessarily a regular than maybe the coaching staff's intending us to because they it's preseason they got to jumble a lot i'm reading into the fact that lassie thompson was playing tonight i think that speaks to how they they feel about his camp versus some other defensemen um i don't know if hamannick got banged up but he's played once in the first four preseason games not really sure why why that's happening uh, maybe that's a seventh defenseman thing. I don't really know. Um, I agree with McEwen. The thing with me, but like, let's, let's, it's really not fair to like any person battling in the bottom six, but if you pit guys against each other, let's say, right. And you, we mentioned McEwen and Smekal, like you're, you're getting, it's completely two, two completely different players in the sense that Smekal is making plays. Right. And that's, that's a huge asset to have. And I don't know if anything else points to McEwen being more valuable than Smekal right now. And I was on board with the McEwen signing just in the sense I was like, you know what? The Leafs go sign Ryan Reese for three years. Why not get another fighter, uh, you know, fighter who, who will, will step up when you need to, whatever it is. Um, but that's a 13th forward. That guy is not a guy who should be in, on your fourth line. And I know what you mean by people playing with Castle. kind of points to them being on that line full time kind of thing. To me, I I don't know. Like, there's so many guys just in the mix, and it. If anything, the more the preseason goes on, it gets more confusing for me. Like, yeah, guys like Parker Kelly and McEwen haven't had the best camp so far, and haven't really uh, knocked the door down like a lot of other guys have. I thought Angus Crookshank was fantastic in the first period today, playing on that fourth line. He's a spark plug, and that's exactly what he's going to do. And quite honestly, a lot of people pointed it out on Twitter as well. He is doing exactly what Parker Kelly did a couple of years ago that earned him a spot and earned him an extension that season. He's going around hitting everything that moves. He's got the legs under him. I don't think Kelly's had the pace to do that lately. And I, quite frankly, I think Crookshank's a bit stronger. It looks like he's hitting harder. So little things like that matter. And I think Crookshank's penalty today, it was a, it was a very hard hit, probably a charge. They, he could have called a lot of stuff on it. It wasn't super dirty, but it was probably a penalty. Um, but that kind of stuff is going to put you on the map. If you're playing on a fourth line in preseason, that's how you get the coach's attention, namely DJ Smith. That's how you get his attention. Uh, the thing with Crookshank too, is like, he's, he's a homegrown talent kind of thing drafted. Like they, they like that kind of stuff, uh, for the Sens. but like Smekal has got a place on this team as well. Igor Sokolov has been playing really well. Like there's no shortage of options, which is a, which is a really good problem to have, 
uh, Ridley Gregg. Obviously, there's too many guys here right now. Um, and again, just in the comments there, I, I forgot about a guy. We didn't even, or you mentioned him. I wanted to say a quick story about uh, Roby Arventi, who had that quick answer goal um, to kind of get rid of the Jets lead right away. He so he scores, and my mom was sitting with me, and she says, "Is is he good?" That was her question, and I'm like, "I mean, yeah." Um, but is he supposed to make the team is what she said essentially. And I'm like, I don't know, because I could see a scenario quite honestly. Look, I like Mark Haslick. We're all on his side in terms of a fourth line center. He's a full package face-offs, all the, the whole, the whole uh, deal, but your has been playing center all of training camp, finished the year last year in Belleville at, uh, at center and actually played pretty well. If he continues to have a great camp and you want to completely change your philosophy, what's stopping them from, I mean, contracts probably, but your venti could be a fourth line center as well. Like it's just not on the, DJ the Smith's log- team. That's for sure. I know, I know, <laughs> but that's what's crazy is like if the team wants to be seen, and we'll get into it in a little bit, accountability and everything with Steve Steos. That was a big, big theme in the press conference this morning. But if they want to preach that they're in it to win it, the expectations playoffs, uh, which is it is now because I know I love this new front office already just in the sense of what the message they're putting out because DJ and Pierre have been very, very careful the last few years after the whole, the rebuild is over debacle when the team fell off the rails that season, they've been very careful setting, setting external expectations. And I think even going into this year, they wouldn't say we want to be a playoff team, but as soon as Ann Lauer got control of this team, the narrative is is shifting. They expect this team to make playoffs because they can, and they should. So if, my point is, if that's the goal, you have to go with who plays better in camp. You just have to. You cannot go on your laurels. And if this was a team that made the playoffs the last few years and you were up in the air about a certain number of guys, sure. I understand that you'd want to ride Parker Kelly because he provided for you down the stretch, whatever it was. They didn't. This team hasn't made the playoffs in six seasons. So it doesn't matter. So that being said, I'm more confused today than I was yesterday about the bottom six. I have guys I like. I don't know what combinations work. And we're kind of running out of time here uh, for preseason. So what were your thoughts on, um, I don't even know what to add. Like maybe the power play. Like there's a lot to get into here. Or maybe uh, a, a defenseman, Shabbat looked great. Brandstrom looked fantastic to me. Lassie Thompson, just hit on someone because there's so many guys. And let us know in the comments as well. Like you guys have been the whole time. We're trying to get to a lot of stuff, but um, this is a, a jam-packed live stream we're doing right here. Yeah, it is. And, and yeah, I'll throw this uh, this comment up. Here we go. Here we go. Here it comes. So I want Roby to get a shot for sure, but I don't think DJ likes him. Now, obviously, like, not likes him as in, like, as a person. I'm sure they're fine. But, like, it's a good point by Joe Bell in the sense of, and this is what I was saying when I said not on DJ Smith's team, is that, like, Roby Arventi could severely outplay Mark Kastelik. And, and Kastelik's a good fourth-line center. Don't get me wrong. Like, just hypothetically, he could outplay him and he would not win the role. And this is the, the issue I have with Smith. And DJ said this summer that he is open to learning. Like, when they brought Sean Tierney in to spearhead their analytics department, the biggest thing DJ said was that he's open to learning and he wants to be told when he's doing something wrong, basically. And and I'm sorry, but playing, like, Parker Kelly and Zach McEwen is just wrong. Like, they're, that's objectively wrong. Like, it, it's... <laughs> you can't tell me that you're having... Like, last year... The line of Kelly, Kastelik, and Watson got outscored seven to two at five v five, 
And, and yeah, they're a fourth line. They're not going to score a lot, but like they got dominated, man. And, and I'm sorry, but McEwen's a downgrade on Watson. So how is Kelly Castellick and, and McEwen going to work when Kelly Castellick and Watson got dominated? Like it's just logic, right? Like you have to factor these things in. By the way, I, I'm writing an article on everydaysense.com and I'm trying to get it out, but I don't even know like where to go with it because I'm trying to do trends based on what we've seen so far. And it started with the fourth line and how I still think it's going to be Kelly Castellick, McEwen, just because it just it's such a dj smith thing like in the in the past four years we've seen this time and time again and this is where i really hope he learns right like i titled it can dj smith learn from past failures because like he's kind of standing in his own way like i just told you about how that line didn't work last year right like why would you do the exact same thing again but with a, a worse player it just doesn't make any sense so my point being like it's a good point by joe bell because he has his players and he has his styles and and I think his fourth line in his mind needs to be these gritty physical guys but they just don't do anything with the puck and that's been my biggest thing with McEwen so far is that he just doesn't do anything with the puck like it comes to him and, and he just can't do anything other than dump and chase and then not retrieve it and that's just not what you need at this point um, but hopefully like you bring in obviously Sean Tierney the analytics department now you bring in Steve Steos I think there's a good supporting cast here now that can kind of fill in the gaps a little bit. They've changed some of the coaches too. And, and it, it hopefully somebody will step up and point this out because like you said, there's just too many players now that are available that are, are upgrades on what they have. And like I tweeted out in the first preseason game, I love Parker Kelly. I like watching him play. He's fun. He's like a spark ball. He just goes around hitting everything. The energizer bunny is what people call him. He just literally goes around hitting everything. He's fun to watch, but he's just not doing enough and we've seen enough games like he's played 100 games almost we've seen enough now that there's no more point in evaluations like we've got other players who are ready to step up and do more right so um just getting an update here sense have sent out the first round of cuts so we can check Let's that out Twitter. and you can, you can yeah, update that yeah, um so go for it can, yeah go, go ahead go ahead I'll, I'll try i'll let you know when i find it oh all found right it. Sounds okay. good. Go <laughs> found <for> it. It. <laughs> um all right so assigned to the belleville senators Marilinen, Sinclair uh, for goalies, McKinnon on defense, Sabrango back to Belleville, Toure to Belleville, Crookshank to Belleville, Daou to Belleville, Pfizer, McPhee, and Solnier, and that's one out of two, and I'm waiting for number two right now. That was just tweeted out from Sens Communications. I am not pleased that Angus Crookshank is already sent down. That is strange. Yeah. I mean, they need to start getting their roster together, but Crookshank's kind of getting shafted a little bit. And he has right, been. I got, go for I, got it. The, I got the Keep rest. Going. I got the rest. Um, we've got uh, Curry, Hetherington, Pilon, and Lassie Thompson back to Belleville. Wow. Okay. So he plays 27 minutes and goes right down. That's uh that's interesting. So uh, that just kind of builds on what I was just talking about, how I still feel like it's going to be Kelly, Castle, McEwen, and then Hamannick as the six and Bernard Docker as the seven. It just looks like how it's shaping up, right? But what do you think about that? 27 minutes, maybe that was just a last hurrah. Maybe that uh, that that goal he caused was just his, his back-breaking play for DJ and Pierre. So this is the problem with the one-way deal to Hamannick. The uh, Jacob Bernard Docker, I mean, it, it's just age, right? Thompson will be in the same scenario next year where he requires waivers, but it's just a two-way contract. I think for Lassie, it's a two-way contract thing because he played great, to be honest. And yeah, the one mistake aside tonight, a little miscommunication behind the net with the goalie, with uh, Marilina. And like, I don't know what you can do about that, but I legit think that he deserved a second look in camp because I, I, I highly doubt. And I, again, I like Travis Hamannick. I think in terms of, the guys I have a problem with that are slated in the roster right now, 
with Hamannick and McEwen. I can live with Hamannick on, on that pairing more than I can live with McEwen on the fourth line, if that makes sense, right? Because the third pair has got Branstrom. I think Branstrom looked fantastic tonight, by the way. Uh, again, he did on Wednesday as well in Montreal. Um, yeah, like like I, I, I can live with Hamannick down there on that pairing. And I believe JBD is going to stay up just because of waivers. They don't want to lose him. Maybe he's just having a slow start. Um, but it sucks for Lassie Thompson because look, he, he's a player who, uh, uh, and, and by the way, just, just, I'm assuming it's Thompson because it just says D Thompson. It doesn't say like defenseman. I don't think there was another Thompson I wasn't aware of in training camp. So it is Lassie Thompson, but, um, the, oh, Thompson is on waivers according to Hamza. Uh, it says to Belleville, I believe. Um, so I don't know if like there's a waiver period or something, but that's from the sense communications Twitter right now. There's some kind of mix up maybe, but um, regardless, he's been sent down somewhere. Uh, I don't even know if he'd get claimed. But anyway, my point is with Lassie, he's been a guy who's documented as, you know, Troy Mann talked a lot about it when he was coaching Belleville, that he kind of, he's very hard on himself, you know, and not that you need to coddle certain players over others, but it's just one of those things. Like give him an extra couple games, give him a game. But again, there's a log jam, man. They've got so many players. Like you've got JBD, Clevin, Hamannick, uh, Matt and Palo still up uh, like they've got that's four defensemen for one spot still uh, so I understand that you had to get rid of someone the goal of players and tryouts when you're looking to make an open spot and there's a certain number of bodies playing for one position is to make them make a hard decision and they did have to make a hard decision tonight um, so okay so Hamza again like this we've got our reporter here uh, in the chat he says the players placed on waivers for the purposes of assignment to Belleville so I guess that does mean waivers um, we'll see. I mean, if Thompson gets, dude, if Thompson gets claimed for absolutely nothing, I think that's got to be one of Dorian's worst. He, he asset was a management. 2019 first round pick, by the way. If anyone doesn't remember, he was. he was their 19th overall pick in in 2019. And just like last year, before this past season, 2022, 23, I had Thompson significantly higher than JBD on my power rankings for prospects. He looked way better. Like he he really did. This past year, he took a step back, and that was the issue. And that's why he didn't really get much of a chance. And JBD did. Um, but Thompson has potential. I would claim him if I was a different team. He's got potential. He's a good young player. I think for a rebuilding team, like he's someone who could come in and easily compete for a spot on that bottom pairing or something. But regardless, yeah, that will suck. And that's bad asset management if they do lose him. But uh, maybe they're assuming they won't or, or whatever. It's interesting that Matt and Paolo's still up, though. Eh, too. That, that's a kind of a neat little point because he only got that one game and he looked great and, and they just haven't used him since. So maybe, I don't know, maybe he impressed and they're going to keep looking at him. He is, of course, a DJ Smith type of player, which is what we keep referencing, right? He's big and he's rangy and he's physical. So those are the three traits that DJ absolutely adores. Uh, and, and yeah, we'll see. But Thompson, for sure, he's getting sort of like Crookshank. He's getting the the shaft a little bit. He's kind of at the, like he's stuck behind the log jam and there is a log jam on, on forward and defense. And it sucks for these guys who are kind of on the, the verge and, and need to show something. But at the same time, like I think Thompson and Crookshank showed something and I think like I'd be much more confident keeping Crookshank than I would like Kelly or McEwen on the roster right now. It's kind of sounds silly, I guess, considering those guys that played more NHL games. But like I don't really care about that. I care about who's impressing, who's standing out, who's making the biggest impact. And Crookshank was one of their best players at camp last year too, at uh, in the rookie tournament too. So it's disappointing for those guys, and hopefully they can kind of pave their way because both of them have been really good for Belleville, and they're just waiting for a chance now. Uh, and I don't know if it's going to come in Ottawa, but. It will certainly be frustrating if if they're stuck behind guys who just simply aren't better than them and aren't more deserving than them on this roster. 
what's tough for us too is is yeah like there most of training camp is preseason games but what we didn't see is the first what four practices before and look i'm not gonna like there were some top guys who who clearly just don't have the top gear yet like i I would say like like i was saying like batherson and stusel were fighting the puck a little bit like they're they're not all there which is expected so it's hard for these depth guys right you're fighting for a job and like you've got to be on right away um but it's frustrating when what the fans see for what did Kirkshank play two, three games uh, where he looks much better than a lot of the other options available. But again, like you said, he's a victim of a two-way contract and Parker Kelly is on one way and Mark Kaslick is on a one way. Zach McEwen is on a one way. Again, we will loop into this eventually uh, in, in the show after we wrap up the you know roster talk and everything accountability is going to be a real thing under Steve Steos and under Michael Landlauer. That was the message today in the press conference. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit bummed about Crookshank. I got, I, I can't lie. Like Thompson, I, maybe the writing was on the wall a little bit. Like he, they added pieces and they've got, you know, signing Matt and Palo and um, uh, Hamannick, excuse me, to those deals with JBD also getting that deal as well. Like, Writing must have been on the wall, to be honest. But man, it after that game, he played he played his heart out. He really did. And yeah, he had that one big mistake, but he was flying out there, man. And I think it was worth seeing him with um with Brandstrom. Like that would have been the top six defenseman. I think I would have been a okay with that top six going into the season. So it's a little bit uh, a little bit tough, and I'm sure that was not an easy decision for Sens management. No, I'm sure it wasn't. And of course, yeah, it's just surprising to see Thompson on on waivers to me. And Crookshank, yeah, like you said, it's he doesn't deserve to be sent down, but there is a logjam, whatever it is, what it is. Uh, we can pivot a little bit into a more positive note, get some positivity going in here, right? I'm sure people want to hear it. Uh, I'm going to start, I'm going to ask you, well, I'm going to say something, then I'm going to ask you a question that's a little bit different. So for one, I want to say Drake Batherson, we didn't mention him, looked like the best player on the ice to me tonight. I think he was flying his speed, like... I'm sorry, but he looks way faster than last year. He looks more comfortable. He's like, he's turning faster, everything like that ankle must've been bothering him last year. And I know he said it was the start, but I really think it was bigger than people realize. Cause he looks like a totally different player. I don't know if it's just, he's refreshed, but I think the ankle does play a big factor. Uh, if he can skate like that all year this year, I think he could be that player we saw before Aaron Dell did that ridiculous thing that took him out. Right. So what I'm going to pivot into and ask you is, is what you thought, cause it was in the, the chat here when we first started, what you thought about the top line tonight of Tarasenko, Stutzla, Giroux, and how that kind of compares to Kachuk, Stutzla, Giroux, who have been so good and proven. Um, but I had this thought, like, Kachuk, Norris, and Batherson were so good together a few years ago, right? Like, you could reunite that line and then have Tarasenko, Stutzla, Giroux, and now you've got two, like, really stacked top six. Like, you've got an incredible top six forward group. So what do you think about that line tonight, their performance? Obviously, they combined for two goals. Uh, including Giroux and Tarasenko putting them in. And and yeah, like I mean, I I was pretty impressed and I'd like to see more of it. I think this is the time to try it out anyways. Like that's that's my take on it. Yeah, I, I'm in the I'm in the camp of I want to see more just because of the competition today. Like they were they were bound to to dominate puck possession. Um if you look at the hockey hockey stat cards, I, I always I love checking it just for a visual. Uh the defense for the top guys was non-existent tonight in terms of what that's telling us. So clearly they know it was a coasted preseason game, I'm hoping. Um, but yeah, like I did I love the line. I I do. Um, and and the like like you said, the idea that you can have Kachuk Norris and Batherson reunited as your second line. Um, I don't even know, like that's what the question mark. Like I guess it would be. Uh that's very appealing. 
I just want to see him more against other competition, aka better competition. When they go to Nova Scotia, those should be pretty full lineups for both teams. I know, especially when you play the Penguins in Sydney, I think they're playing. Maybe actually, I think that one's in Halifax. Um, that one will be a pretty stacked Penguins lineup, I believe, because it's Sidney Crosby going to Halifax. Batherson will certainly be playing in both. So that to me, like, is a good good indicator, like to to see. It just depends on Norris's health, man. It really does. And like this all does, it depends on Pinto's contract. Like, is he going to be going out East? Like probably not at this stage. Um, there's just so much in the air. Right. And I do like that line. I just want to see it against better competition. I liked Tarasenko. I think he's a quiet, quietly effective winger. And it didn't really look like, like he's not, he, I think he's going to be the kind of player that looks like he's not very engaged, which might be frustrating sometimes, but if, when he gets that shot off, like he's going to catch goalies off guard. Like he's, he's a sniper and on the power play, I love him in the bumper spot. I think that's a great spot for him to be. So um, I'm looking forward to that. And yeah, I mean, you throw anyone with Stuzel and Giroux, someone's going to make a play happen. And I think the most appealing thing, like you said, again, is the fact that it would reunite Kachuk Norris Batherson, which we know worked also one of the best lines in the league when they were together. So um, that's appealing to me as well. Brandon, let's take a quick little break here. Uh, I want to talk about our presenting sponsor, Manscaped. We are proud to be sponsored by Manscaped right now. Support for the Everyday Sense podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package, the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 8 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code sends 20 at manscaped.com. And I've got the performance package 4.0. Did yours arrive yet? Did you get yours in, in the mail or is the Edmonton shipping still a little bit? Slower? No, no, I got mine. And yeah, it's, it comes okay. with a lot, man. It comes with a lot. Like you just, yeah. I, I mean, seriously, like this isn't just an ad, like we're serious. This is real stuff. Like it, it actually yeah. is quality stuff. And there's more than just like the big packages too. There's all sorts of stuff. So yeah. So in the performance package, you will find the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, which is obviously the main uh, advertised thing that you know Manscaped for, the uh, weed whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, a crop preserver ball deodorant, which that's one of those things I say it in our, our recorded ad, the one that you didn't know you needed. That's the one I'm talking about. Like that, that just kind of changes the game for me. Uh, crop reviver toner, which I haven't even actually tried yet. I got to give that a go some boxer briefs and even a travel bag, like a little uh, duffel or tote bag. I think they call them or whatever it is for uh, all your stuff, pretty much your toothbrush, everything. I went to a state at a friend's house last week. I threw everything in there. Easy, nicely done. So that's again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code sends 20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code sends 20 unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with manscaped all right brendan let's talk more about this top line give me more on drake batherson to me he looked like a guy who i don't know he, he kind of slimmed down to me it looked like and i i love that story for batherson because he infamously like wasn't sure he was going to continue with hockey he was kind of a skinny kid in grade 12 playing junior a i believe and then i think the story goes i might be mis uh remembering some things i think the story goes he ate nothing but mcdonald's for like two months put on a ton of weight, trained all summer, and then made uh, the the Cape Breton Screaming Eagles or whatever. And then obviously the rest is history. Like to me, that's a very funny story. So I, to me, it looks like he's a little bit slimmer. I think he might've uh, uh, lost a little bit of weight to get faster and he, it, it's paying off to me. 
Yeah, he looks like a different skater to me out there. Like he, he's really moving a lot. To, like he's more agile. He's not just like straight up fast, but it's his edges, it's his turning. It's like he, he had that one play where he came out of the offensive zone and he just like looped around the neutral zone and then made this move when he, he had the zone entry and he made this little slick pass over to Stutzla on the wall and suddenly they had an entry, they had possession. It's exactly what you want to see out of Atherson. People forget that before that Aaron Dell play, like he had, I want to say 48 points in 48 games that year. Uh, and he was like, he was leading the Sens. He was their best player by quite a bit, like ahead of Brady Kachuk and some of the other guys. And he just looked like this dominant force who won puck battles. He was fast. He was creating offense. Like this guy's got a crazy shot. He was a shooter on the power play, which does not like, you don't think of him as a shooter, but I remember some really nice goals. I remember the, the couple during the COVID year against like Calgary, he had a snipe and the Western trip, he was just lighting it up. And then this injury happens, right? And then he's just hasn't looked the same since even though he still had 62 points last year uh tonight you just saw I, I saw the same player that we saw a few years ago uh he looked like a guy that was refreshed slim looked like a good summer of training and someone who's really going to come out flying this year and he's like he's a guy who's a low-key like x-factor i know we use that a lot but it's just the sense of people almost overlook him you know he's making the least amount out of their core group of players he's only making 4.975 a year took a little bit of a pay cut honestly like that that was good of him it really helps the sense as it turns out um but he's someone who can be a key contributor i mean he if he can be even close to a point per game player on the second line and power play that's huge that's that's very big for ottawa of course his key this season is going to be defense he was like a negative 35 last year among the league's worst uh, and he admitted this summer too that 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 was a struggle for him and that it was one of the things he needs to work on and that's all we can ask for like if you have a bad year defensively or a bad year in any regard if you come out during the summer and you say like you admit it you take responsibility accountability especially for a young player and he's still only 24 years old that's exactly what you want to see right so i think he's going to come out this year i noticed a few good back checks tonight of course it's the preseason but guess what i thought a lot of guys i thought tim i thought really all of their top guys even on defense like they look good tonight but i thought they did look like they were taking it off a little bit just kind of laid back against an easier opponent i thought batherson was still like pedal to the metal he was really grinding he was throwing his body around um after Tim got rocked that one time, it seemed like he threw a couple big hits after that, trying to set the tone a little bit more. He was winning battles. So you just love to see that when it looks like some guys are kind of just striding around, just trying to get to the end of the game a little bit and survive. And then you see somebody else who's really going like he's he's pedaled to the metal, like flooring it. And I love that. And that's what I saw from Batherson. So he's a guy who I think really stood out tonight. And I think he's going to have a big season. Um, and other fan bases are going to hate it because they've been using that stupid suspension joke for like this entire summer. And guess what? Like this man's playing. So it, it's going to be, it's going to be a fun season for him. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said before, I think the top six has a lot of potential regardless of the combo. Cause you're either getting Kachuk, Stutzel, Giroux, which works so well, uh, or you're getting Kachuk, uh, Norris and Batherson and then Stutzel, Tarasenko and Giroux. It doesn't matter. Like this forward group, honestly, this whole team is built better than we've seen in like 20 years. So uh, I'm excited because when when the Sens had their best roster of all time and they had that top four, because I know we had a post earlier this summer saying, is this Ottawa's best top four? And everybody was like, no, the Chara and the Redden and all that. Like we were very young, so I hardly remember those days and actually watching the games. Now we're seeing in, in what is in our mind, like the most talented roster we've seen right on the ice as a product, not just highlights. Uh, so I'm excited. Yeah, and, and I think that we should probably just talk quickly too before maybe we'll get into a little bit of Steve Steos. Um, maybe just like 
Josh Bailey. What did you think of him? Because I think in my mind, Josh Bailey is uh, coming up to the end of his PTO. And I don't think that he should get a contract, even though I think he probably will. Uh, tonight, I thought he just was invisible again and didn't really do a whole lot. And that's like close to a million dollars that the Sens just can't afford. And then maybe before we get to Steve Steos, we'll touch on Matthew Joseph as well. Yeah, God, there's a lot. We're definitely hitting over an hour on this one. I could promise that for the folks uh, sticking around. We appreciate it. Obviously, leave a comment, a like. Uh, we'll, we'll try and interact with the comments. I think the later we go into this and the more casual we kind of get, wanted to hit on what we saw, what you guys saw. Uh, so just throw comments in there. We will we will keep up to date with all of them. And also, just subscribe to the YouTube page. We just hit 1,100 subscribers uh, we're, we're going to the moon, man. We, we, we've grown a lot this summer and obviously this is, this is the thick of it. This is Sens hockey right now. We're about to get going. So, uh, it feels good. So thank you for joining us and we're going to keep the ship going tonight. So yeah, man, I mean, but Josh Bailey, I think on Wednesday he looked better than I think people might've given him credit for, let's say, like, I, I don't think he looked awful. Um, I've liked parts of him. Like I don't, I don't mind him on the power play. Like he's kind of snapping it around. Obviously you could tell he's a guy who used to have, uh, a bit of an offensive touch or was able to keep up offensively in the league. Um, but the thing is like, like you said tonight when it's basically a full lineup, he was kind of just a little bit too invisible. Like I, I didn't, he's not bringing that X factor on the third, fourth line that you would think. Um, but again, like I'd be okay with a fourth line of Castlick, Josh Bailey and Yuri Smekow. Like I, I don't mind that. Right. Um, I think he's better than, but the, the problem there is like, you're short, you're short on right wingers, but like, it should be Sokolov over McHugh. Like we can go on and on about this, but, um, in terms of PTO, I think you're right. I don't think this is a Derek, Derek Broussard situation. And unlike other years, the Sens are deep, man. Like they, the team they iced today would have been with what, what without Kachuk, Pinto and Norris up front. Um, obviously sub in the starting goalies, like without those three forwards up front, I still think that's a decent forward core they put out today, which is crazy to think about. So they've got tons of depth. That was out without Ridley Gregg as well. Like a lot of guys, Matthew Joseph, Dominic Kubelik, so many guys. So I think three of the players we saw play on the ball in the bottom six today, maybe have a chance to be on the fourth line, like in, in general, right? There's so many guys left still. I'm really curious to see how it goes, but I don't see Josh Bailey being there. Um, if it's in place of a guy like McEwen or Parker Kelly, though, then I can live with it, I think, a little bit. Because as long as they have someone on that fourth line who I can trust to make a play, you know, like I, I can trust Smekal because I've seen him. Um, Bailey, I think, can make plays with the puck, responsible plays, where it won't just be crash and bang. Um, that's what I think about Josh Bailey. But again, like it's, I won't be distraught either way if that makes sense. Like I was, I was pretty visibly, I'm sure everyone noticed there, a little bit upset about, um, Crookshank because I was high on him. I actually really liked his game tonight and I'm a bit disappointed he got sent down. But like, other than that, I don't think there's many other players that, that would move the needle for me like that. No. And, and Bailey, I think along with some of these other guys, the issue is that we don't know if they can play in a, a gritty fourth line type of role or bottom six type of role. And that's not to say, obviously we just said about Parker Kelly and Zach McEwen, they're gritty, but it's not just grit. It's a unique role where you have to have both, attributes like you have to be able to be gritty and physical and, and you know big so to say um but you also have to be able to contribute and, and have puck possession and be able to manage the puck and, and that's why we don't like the fourth line right now what they're running is because they can't manage the puck and they often get hemmed in 
Uh, Bailey obviously gives you some of that, but then he'll also throw like 10 hits all year and he's just not gritty. So I don't know. I think that, that they'd be fine letting Bailey go for the same reason as we said before, which is just that they have other options. Like why even spend another 775K when you've got guys who can do the same thing as Bailey who are younger waiting for an opportunity? Like, I just feel like that's the better route to go. Uh, and this will kind of lead us into what we need to talk about. And that is Matthew Joseph, because on Wednesday night against Montreal, we haven't talked about that game. Um, Matthew Joseph was the the biggest thing, right? And, and Dominic Kubelik as well. But Joseph scored two goals, not just two goals, but two ridiculous goals where he, they were the exact same play comes down the left side, the left wall. And he just like pulls the little toe drag inside quick release. And he goes to literally short side both times in the exact same spot. And it's just ridiculous how that happened. One was shorthanded one. I want to say was a four on four. Uh, and Joseph, like, does that help his value? Obviously it helps his value, but is that a good thing for Ottawa or is it kind of going to hurt? Cause listen, I, I still think, and you've said it, he still has to be the one to go. And it's just because if you trade Brandstrom, that's 2 million. I don't think 2 million gets a Pinto contract done. It certainly doesn't get anything else done or give you any flexibility. Um, like unless you're going to look at Forsberg or Zub or and like these guys are going to really hurt the roster if you trade them. Joseph is a guy who, although yes, he's performing at a very high level, probably an all-time high for him right now through the first couple preseason games. He's been tremendous. Uh, like it's not just the goals, it's the back checking. Like I've got 10 clips of Matthew Joseph doing insane work and maybe it is just like he's getting fueled by this stuff he's seeing on social media because he's flying around the ice. He's working harder than anybody else. Um, it's going to suck if they do trade him, but like he's the only option it's 2.95 and that's perfect for Pinto. It's perfect for flexibility. Um, it's just going to sting more that he's, you know, it's a two way street though, because it's going to sting that he's going to be the one probably to get traded, but it's also, it would have stung a lot more if it cost a first round pick with him to move him. And I think that maybe if he's playing better and he's playing like this, it could maybe just, you could unload him with like a mid round pick instead. Uh, if Ottawa's in a bind here, which they are and teams know that. So hopefully they are going to avoid trading, you know, a Boucher or a first round pick. And now they can kind of settle and maybe even get a mid round pick for Matthew Joseph because a team like Philly sees value in him. And I think he's now showing that he can be a producer, even though he scored no goals at five, five last year and ironically he didn't score five v five goals last game either he just scores on special teams apparently and shorthanded um but yeah what do you think about joseph's game and, and the the pain but also the pleasure with him performing at a high level through a couple games i i love watching him play man he's so fast he just brings a different pace and it's like he's like foreman he reminds me of Foreman. really is he is and it, i mean unfortunately i mean not unfortunately but for for on ice reasons unfortunately we don't get to see them play together because and they never really did maybe at the end of that last season that joseph was traded there but um yeah like he it's almost but i think he's more of a it's a good comparison but formanton was more of a rangy skater you know what i mean like he, he had the length and the reach a little bit with with puck battles and whatever it was he used that to his advantage when he was skating joseph just darts up the ice he, he's so fast and i think last year the um you know, like, like his leg injury, he was, he was kind of like Zub. I think Zub and Joseph both got injured twice separately last year and they came back from both, but they just weren't the same. I don't think so. A healthy summer for Joseph was big, obviously. And salary wise, he is the only one who makes sense to me. And you're right. You could move Kubalik, let's say for whatever you could probably wouldn't have to package anything. The thing is no one's doubting that Matthew Joseph is a great player and is a perfect, like he's not overpaid. He's just, the most, you know, roster wise, he's replaceable and he's the most movable contract that they have realistically. Right. Um, you don't want to move Kubelik because that's not enough flexibility. Like you said, I think Pinto can 
demand at this point because we've gotten to this point and we will get into Steve Steos, I promise, because accountability is a huge, huge thing right now. And we're gonna we can loop this whole uh conversation into that because I think those conversations that they alluded to in the press conference today were a little bit more uh heated, I want to say. Let's put it that way. That's my sense is that they were a little bit more heated than uh was given off in the press conference. But anyway, I I am not happy that Joseph has to be the one to go. I do have faith in Pierre Dorian in trade discussions. I really do. Like look at the Chikrin trade, the Debrinket trade originally, the actual recent Debrinket trade, like really not that bad. Um, Chikrin trade was fantastic. Like he's got the, the, the balls brought to you by Manscaped to make trades like that. He's got the stones to do it. Um, so maybe this is just a holding out situation. And obviously Philly's got the leverage in terms of time, time's on their side, but like Pierre could pull some, uh, some tricks here. Like I, I have faith that he could, um, I don't like seeing Joseph go though. Huge part of the penalty kill, uh, really unlucky last year. Analytics pointed to him having a decent year last year, only forward on the Ottawa centers with a plus rating, I believe, or no, sorry. Claude Giroux did as well. I think he had the best plus minus rating out of any Ottawa Senator last year. And he played with Dylan Gambrell, Tyler Mott, uh, uh, you know, you name it, Patrick, uh, Pat- Patrick Brown, my goodness. Uh, okay. <laughs> Dude, there's a lot of names. I was thinking about that today, the the announcers and everything. And the, we were watching SportsCenter after and they were going through and mispronouncing every single depth name they could think of. Um, and I don't even blame them, man. Like pro- hundreds of names they're probably never going to see again um, come across their prompter. So it's pretty pretty uh, brutal for, for pronunciations. But anyway, I should have known it was Patrick Brown. My point is Matthew Joseph... Um, was I think one of my top candidates this summer, wasn't he, to bounce back this season? I think I had him and uh, Drake Batherson. And, I mean, for whoever he ends up with, if it's Philly, if it's whoever else, the San Jose Sharks, I think Friedman mentioned, um, then they'll they'll get a great player and, and quite honestly could get a sweetener with him, which is ridiculous because he's a fantastic player. Yeah, he is. And, and I mean, if we, if we could trade him and get an asset back, it would hurt a lot less than moving an asset, even a mid-round pick. It just feels so wrong to have to move an asset any asset with a player who's actually a good player like you know what i mean the way i put it is is you're kind of it sucks to have to move someone and and it's like almost i don't know it kind of just speaks poorly on dorian to have to move like quote-unquote salary dump a player who's worth probably 80 to 90 percent of the money that he's being paid like i don't think that joseph's contract is even a bad contract i just think it's the only one that ottawa can really move here to make it work and unfortunately teams are just taking advantage of Dorian by the sounds of it. But I do agree with you. He's worked some magic in trades and he seems to get his way in trade talks. You know, he had the whole untouchable list for Tyler Clevin or for, sorry, for Jacob Chikrin, which Tyler Clevin was on. Uh, and he seemed to just like patience, 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 right? Like he, he originally said that they talked about Chikrin for like months in advance. And, and he just kept kind of using his little patient tactics and saying, you're not getting this prospect. You're not getting this prospect. You're not getting that one either. And eventually Arizona just conceded and said, okay, we'll take this instead. Now I think he's kind of doing that. He's kind of probably also waiting to see if someone gets hurt. Um, which we talked about last time with Joseph too, is maybe a team suffers an injury and then they want to pivot and they acquire Joseph, right? That's possible regardless you're absolutely right it, just, it sucks to have to trade a guy who's a good player because this isn't like nikita zaitsev this is someone who would be a key contributor like the penalty kill is no joke he's really good maybe their best penalty killer right now on a forward anyway he's very very uh, effective at that and obviously just him being on the ice similar to what formington was like on the ice when he's there the other team has to like 
they have to adjust their style of play because you can't be taking risks or, or making certain passes and seam passes when you've got a guy who's so fast, you can absolutely burn you if he gets one little touch on the puck. So not having him there is obviously going to suck. And, and that's another thing, by the way, with the, the bottom six discussions we had earlier, they have to be able to play on the penalty kill. I know that they're using Tim on the penalty kill too, but they need someone like Kubelik's not going to play on the penalty kill, right? Like Joseph Wood, that's kind of the the toss up between them. And and again, I really don't think you move Kubelik. I think the two, he obviously makes less than Joseph and he'd be easier to move. But at the same time, like he's a, a more effective player. I think you need his depth scoring. The depth scoring was such a, a major killer last year that I'm not even willing to get rid of it uh, again. But I am dying to see a third line of Joseph Kubelik and Pinto. That is my dream third line. And unfortunately, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. So hopefully Ridley Gregg is ready to go uh, and can take that spot. But uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe they find a different way. Maybe they they do some crazy magic and they trade Artem Zub or something like who knows, right? Um, but regardless, yeah, I think we can kind of kind of turn this into Steve Stales and his expectations because he was obviously hired as Ottawa's president of hockey operations today. And finally we have someone in that role. It's been, it's been, I don't even know how long it's been. It's been way too long uh, since we had a, a president of hockey ops and Steve Stales was someone who was rumored right from the day Ann Lauer came in, obviously a thousand and one NHL games played. He's been a player development for, for Toronto. He was with them and then he's been some sort of like, coaching roles he's been in general manager roles in the ohl he's been in literally every type of role he was a special assistant to the gm uh, ken holland in edmonton this past year and just like glowing glowing um glow how do you like i don't even know like, everybody loves him like everybody around the league speaks very highly of steve Steos uh from a, when he was since he was a player to now as a manager and as everything he's done and he seems like someone who's really gonna bring um I guess like a professional aspect to the Sens, they, their front office has been such a, a convoluted mess for so many years now. And, and they even kind of spoke about it today with Pierre Dorian going as far as to say that he's been quote unquote, almost begging for help in, in the front office. And he hasn't gotten any of it, which is just a, another wild quote from Pierre <laughs> that, that I like, actually, it's kind of funny and, and true, but um, yeah, now he gets that help with Steve Steos. And, and of course, Steos is not the GM. He's not replacing Dorian. He's going to be above him and kind of managing the longer term things, but Dorian's managing the day to day. I still think he's going to play a big role in regards to player evaluations. And I'm sorry, but you get that feeling like, he's probably kind of projected as the long-term replacement for Dorian, uh, if need be. So you obviously wrote an article, your first article on everydaysense.com. Check that out if you haven't. Um, so you broke it down. I mean, I mean, share your thoughts because you had more time today. You, you broke every aspect of Steos down and I want to hear, uh, hear it here on the pod. Yeah. I had a lot of thoughts on this. Um, it was a nice piece of news this morning. I was, I was doing the AM traffic uh, for CFRA this morning, left the building and I checked my phone, Steve Steos, president of hockey operations. It was a bit of a, bit of a surprise. I'm not going to lie. And I guess it was kind of a, we knew like there was something there. It, it, he wasn't on the Oilers website anymore. He was dealing with family issues though. His wife, uh, I believe was a little bit sick. Um, but yeah, so he he accepts the role. This was the plan all along, I believe, for Ann Lauer. He was attached to him, rumored with him in the summer. Um, and the, the the history with these two is important to study, in my opinion. I didn't really include this in the article. Again, go to everyday, everydaysense.com, subscribe to that as well to, uh, to get that analysis of the hiring. But in that article, I didn't allude to this, but it's part of it. And I think it's important to remember. So... Ann Lauer bought the Belleville Bulls in 2015. Then that year relocated them. So he bought the Hamilton Bulldogs, right? Moved them to Hamilton. Steve Steos is from Hamilton. And he, at that point, was working 
um, this was this was when the Leafs had fired whoever was the coach before Mike Babcock. So it was in that weird time where they had an interim coach. So Steos was helping with player development at the time, um, went onto the bench and served as like an interim assistant or something like that for the last few games. Then he leaves the Leafs after being an NHL player to go to the OHL. And he talked about it in his press conference, right? He talked about how um, he was, people told him he was crazy for going to uh, an OHL franchise, right? To work with Ann Lauer. And I think they had had a few dealings here and there, but he gets hired as the president of Hamilton uh, for, for the Bulldogs in 2015. The next year in 2016, I'm not sure on the dates, but the next year in 2016, he assumes the role of general manager as well as being the president. Keep that in mind, folks, because I think Brendan mentioned it as well. I believe that is going to happen eventually. I'm not, spe- I'm, that's pure speculation, but I think writing on the wall, there's that picture of the, during the game tonight of Ann Lauer and Steos talking over in the corner and Dorian just writing down his notes. Obviously, I'm not going to read into a little interaction. Ann Lauer is beside Dorian. He was at the press conference today. I'll get into Dorian's quote as well, because that's important to, to think about. But regardless, once Steos was the general manager of Hamilton from 2016 until 2022, they won four championships together in a span of four years, or sorry, two championships in a span of four years. They won in 2018 and 2022. That's six years total as a GM. Two championships in the OHL in that span is more than impressive, basically doing it with two brand new teams. Um, and look, like you said, and I know we've, we've got the picture. We'll throw up the picture uh, just if, if people didn't catch it uh, live. This is the one we're talking about. It was a video, I don't know, like five seconds Steos and Ann Lauer just chatting it up, obviously just talking. And um, this is kind of a, uh, I don't know what the word is for it, but it kind, of, kind of funny. Um, I, I'll put it like that. But the thing with Steos, like you said, it was a, t- a sense of professionalism. And I included this in the article. To me, it felt like it was a sense of professionalism that I, ha- I haven't felt from the Sens front office since Brian Murray was there. Since his passing, I haven't really felt that um, the, the address to the media, like the seriousness and it's not a knock on Pierre Dorian because again, like it's the media side of things is a very important part of being a general manager and being an owner, being a head coach. Um, but it's not the job. Like the job is to do the work, but for the past seven years, I feel like Dorian just ha- like, he's not a good uh, public speaker. Right. And, and it's not that he stumbles over his words and stuff like that. He just drops the craziest sound bites and look no further than the press conference today. The first question this guy gets asked, all he says is, I've been begging for help for years. Like, I was baffled by that. It was the quote of the day for sure by a mile. Um, the first few went to Ann Lauer, went to Steos, introduce yourself. And then Pierre, obviously, like, all eyes are going to be on him. Like, how do you deal with basically getting overmined in a way, which isn't a huge deal. But, like, what? I, I was just shocked. And it's not that it's not true. And everyone kind of knew it was true. But to me, that was the craziest thing of the day for, for the press conference. Um, but Steos, to me, just has this... Ha, ha, he's just got a good head on his shoulders, it seems. And look, introductory press conference, it's so easy to say the right thing. Just be yourself and people will probably accept it until decisions have to be made. Um, the big two or three three things I, I took away from Steos. One was him and Ann Lauer, he and Ann Lauer, both said... They want the organization hockey operations to be the best in class. That was the uh, quote that they or the, the saying they're going with, which I completely agree with. They want, they have the means to do it. So they're going to do it. And this was the first step. 
then the next one uh was was uh collaborative collaborative work between dorian and, and steos because that was obviously a huge question point a huge talking point um and to, like i think that's fair i think having more voices like sean tyranny like steve steos all it does is enhance the decisions that are made and i don't envy pierre dorian i should make that clear he's been on his own for quite some time maybe before last year because he hired ryan bonus and promoted uh trent man and stuff like that but overall that's kind of the sense i got and the next term I remembered was, I can't remember it now. I'm, I went on a tangent and then it's late at night. That's I'm giving myself a, a pat on the back for that one. But yeah, man, I'm, I'm stoked. I really am. I got a huge, huge um, positive vibe. Very, very positive vibe from Steve Steos. I'll even go as far. I think it was a better press conference for me personally, because I was focused on the hockey operation stuff with Ann Lauer than Ann Lauer's introductory press conference, if that makes sense. Like, this was this was like like the the one with Ann Lauer last week was was kind of the the closing the book on the sale process. This to me because Ann Lauer was there as well and he spoke very highly of Steve Steos. Um, this to me was the culmination. Like this is this is when this guy's getting down to business and what he what he envisions and he it, it really does seem like Steos is just a, a carbon copy of Ann Lauer. So I was very thrilled. Yeah, and then that's a great summary there. And and I think the biggest thing with Steos and the way that I would describe him based on what he's saying is stability. That's the word I would use. And I think stability is something we haven't had in Ottawa in my lifetime. So like I think it's finally good to see. Well, since Brian Murray, like Murray, we should give a lot of credit to Murray. He was really, really good. Uh obviously just excellent in every way. But Steos, he came in and that's like I actually listened to it on the car on the way home today, uh, his his whole conference and the one thing I pulled from it was stability. It just sounds like someone who's confident. He's composed. He knows what he's doing. He knows what this organization needs. He's been around the game of hockey for, I don't like his, his whole life. Like he's been obviously like, I just love the fact that he's a player turned manager. Like, you know what I mean? He's a player turned staff member. That's something that I find important for a president of hockey ops, especially is a guy who's been in the league for over a thousand games. And now he's been in several different teams. Like he's kind of gotten the scoop from every place he's been and he can kind of pull the best parts of each of those places and make his own kind of combination now which is awesome to see i think he's the perfect tire and i really do like i think he we obviously talked about kyle dubas earlier this year another guy that would have been interesting but he, you know he's just coming from toronto he's never played in the league it's a little bit different i think steos with all of his experience and experience is almost a trope right that everybody is like oh so much experience and, and we've said that about other guys like pierre mcguire when he came in but steos is just different to me it's valuable experience and a mix of it um something that I find really good. The other thing was Ann Lauer. Like Ann Lauer said himself, he wanted to bring Steos in um, because he, like he, he's committing obviously a large portion of his life to the Sens now, but he also said he's still the CEO of, of a major company, right? Like that's how he became a billionaire. He can't commit all of his time to, you know, catering to Dorian's every need. Now there's a guy in place who is a full-time staff member who Dorian, like the way they put it was that he's going to be a soundboard for Dorian. So Dorian kind of turned to him whenever he has a question, whenever he wants an opinion and Steos is going to be there for him. And Steos, of course, is going to be hiring uh, lots of different pieces in the front office too. He's going to be playing a, a huge factor with that as well. And, and kind of expanding things. He kept saying that in his press conference today, he kept saying like, I'm, you know, I'm excited to get to work because we've still got a lot to do. It's not just like I'm hired now and now we can settle in, watch the season, watch the games. No, he straight up said like four different times, I'm excited to, to, to continue expanding. And that was number one on our list when we did our pod earlier this summer, I think we had a, a pod that was titled like our priorities and, and our list of what they need to do with new ownership. Number one on my list, and I think you agreed, was that 
they need to expand the front office and that's everything, right? That's pro scouting. They've addressed that. I'd still like to see them hire a few more scouts because they're still pretty shallow and I'm sure they will, but they've addressed that. They've changed things up there, right? They've spearheaded an analytics department. Now they've got Sean Tierney in there. That's a huge hiring. Now they've got a president of hockey ops, not just anyone, like a very good president of hockey ops on paper anyway. And from everything he said, we'll see of course they've uh added aaron crow as the i can't remember what they changed it's chief financial officer and chief operating officer i believe is the her yeah, two titles so that another title that. For her. Yeah. yeah so she's doing more now like they've already made nan lauer's been in for like a week and they've already made several moves now like the, the front office looks a lot more refined than it did even a couple weeks ago so um yeah i mean i i love steos i loved his composure and, and yeah going back it's just stability uh and, and that's what ottawa needs it's not ottawa does not need someone who's flashy and i think dubis would have been like the flashy type who would have been constantly in the media you'd see pictures of him all the time and, and he'd be fun and, and he's young and you, you know whatever else but i think steos is the the calm stable maybe behind the scenes a little bit he's not going to be out there all the time a uh, guy who runs the show in the background and he's okay with being in the background from the sounds of it. He doesn't need to be in the spotlight. Like it's the same with Ann Lauer. They're, they're going to be in the background. They're not going to be these owners and, and president of hockey ops who are constantly in the media. And I love to see that because these are guys who we, we just rely on for stability. So that is my key word for this pod. It, it's stability. It's just bring stability to Ottawa. Uh, we haven't had it in, in, I don't even know if they've ever had it really like behind the scenes, but um, they have it now. And I think that Ottawa, as Ann Lauer put it today, uh, there are brighter days ahead for Ottawa, but I think they got a little bit brighter uh, hiring Steve Steos, who just presents as a perfect fit for the Sens. He, he really is. And, and just pointing out here, Windsor Sens guy there in the comments, we did talk about lastly being waived. We talked about Crookshank being sent down. We broke down the entire game. We just watched uh, this is a bit of a bit of a post game breakdown slash Steve Steos reaction. Kind of wanted to merge them both together. Um, another thing with Steos, just like we, we can keep going here. I'm not I'm not in a rush to, to get off here, but uh, the thing with Steve Steos to me, like I, I was skeptical. I'll admit when we talked about it in the summer and like talked about Kyle Dubas and all the potential front office moves. There's a there's a parallel universe out there where Ryan Reynolds is the owner and Kyle Dubas is the president and GM. And I agree, it would have been a lot a lot flashier, a lot more national headlines than they're getting already. Um, I don't think I would hate it. And hey, Windsor Sens guy, don't worry about missing it. It's okay, man. You can rewind, you can watch it, listen to it tomorrow when this audio drops as well. It'll be on rewind. Spotify and Apple and everything. Don't worry. There about it is. There we go. We got it all. Uh, no, we don't go anywhere, especially when, even if the live stream ends, we're still around. Um, the thing with Steos that that I was skeptical of is just I, I know that you mentioned a lot him coming in as president of hockey ops. I was just skeptical because he hadn't done it at the NHL level and. Typically, it's rare for um, any kind of, you know, it, it would kind of be similar if Kyle Dubas came to Toronto and was the president right away, right? Where he didn't answer to a Brendan Shannon. It would have been the same as that. Um, much larger scale, obviously, but um, it, it would have been similar. So I was a little bit skeptical, but but the reason I was so blown away today is because of his, the way he composed himself. Like, this guy means business. And I don't think that we can understate that. This is going to be... Um, and I know you said you, you think he might be behind the scenes. I don't think so at all, man. I think every major press conference, it'll be him and Dorian attached to the hip, which is how it should be. Every other Canadian market that I can think of anyway, uh, Montreal, I know Bruce Garriock alluded to that in a question to Ann Lauer because Ann Lauer was pretty instrumental, I guess, in the hiring of Jeff Gordon as the president a couple of years ago in Montreal, who then got Kent Hughes. Like they've got that tandem going where the president's the bigger name, but it's the GM, right? Um, 
Vancouver for all, for all their faults has the same kind of scenario with Jim Rutherford, Patrick Alvin, um, obviously Brendan Shanahan in Toronto and uh, Brad tree living now, like the Oilers have the same with Jeff Jackson and then Ken Holland. Like it's just a standard way to run a front office now in the sense. I, I, I don't believe they've ever had a president of hockey operations in the last 20 years. 23 years. I, they might've had one in the early two thousands, but in the so Melnick insane. era, absolutely not. So they, crazy. <laughs> they absolutely didn't in the Melnick era. I believe Brian Murray held the title with GM for a little bit, but that's a bit of a cop out to me because it's just a way to save salary for Melnick. But this is, this is like a, a necessary move. It is a, um, it's a big time hire and, it's not flashy. It's not a, a former, it's not Daniel Alfredson. That's the one I was skeptical about too. Like I, I didn't want Alfie there because you look at a guy like Rutherford in Vancouver and Shanahan and Toronto, they eventually become the villain. And I didn't want that for Alfredson, but it's, it's a, such a longer tenured um, uh, position than a GM or a coach or anything like this is a, and, and one more thing I'm, I'm going off about Steos in a good way for once I'm going off in a good way about the front office for the senators it's also rare for them to already have a very well-established and very successful past together with the owner and the president in hockey. They've won championships in the last five years. They won one one year ago in 2022. Like that's not, uh, uh, you know, buddies getting together after winning a Stanley cup uh, a decade ago, two decades ago. These are guys who have done what they're doing right now. And this is why I loved Steos's answer uh, when he was asked about like uh, uh, what the difference is between the OHL and the NHL, I believe it was Sylvain Saint Laurent who asked that question. It was a great question, um, and it was on the similarities between running an OHL and an NHL team. And Steos right away he just said it's the same thing, just on a larger scale. And he's right; they've managed people. You just have to maybe pay a bit more attention to little details like ticket sales and all that. But that's for Ann Lauer and other people, the business side. For Steos, it's just managing the people and building a successful culture. And I have all the confidence in the world that they can get it done because they've done it before. There's no, really, there's no reason to doubt them other than the fact that it was an OHL team. And I don't think that's like, like a crazy hill to die on. I'm very, very confident in this regime now. Yeah, and, and I think regardless of OHL, NHL, and, and yeah, Steos said it's two different things, but at the same time, it's hockey, right? And it's, they know, they know the market, they know what they need to do. And even with it being the OHL, they've both been around the NHL. Like, like we've talked about it, right? Ann Lauer owned 10% of the Habs or 20% of the Habs for several years, like for a long time. And no, he's not the full owner, but he's still around the game. He's still seeing it. And the Habs are a massive franchise. He's still seeing how that's being run, right? He's there and he's taking part in the meetings. He, like, they've both been around the game and at the NHL level and to just see them succeed at the OHL level. And I loved how Steos put it today. He said, obviously the players were one part of their champions because they, they did win the two titles very quickly in their little time together and their, their whatever, however many years it was. Um, but he referenced like the people, right? It was the culture. It was the people. And that's something that I really like to hear because you can credit the players all you want, but at the same time, like there's so many people behind the scenes who get no credit, who play a major factor, right? Like he, he literally pointed out like, I think his words were from the people who sharpen the skates to the, the number one center is how he put it. Like they all play a role in, in our success. And, and he also said like, it's not lip service when he says that Michael and Lauer and himself, they both have a strong belief 
in like caring about their people and their staff and the fans. Like it's not just lip service. They genuinely do care. And that's the other vibe along with stability that I got from Steos and Ann Lauer too, is that it's not fake. And I think there are a lot of press conferences in sports in general, not just hockey, where you'll listen to an owner or you'll listen to kind of the higher ups in the organization talk. And you can just tell that they're, they're saying like they're giving standard answers. They're just kind of doing a media session to do a media session to to have that kind of lip service is a good way to put it and you can just see through it right you can read between the lines i think the sense had that for a really long time where you can read between the lines and you can take these these some like little little shots here and there right you can just pull them out of it and see that they're not really caring I don't get that at all from Steos and Anlauer. It's the complete opposite. And I love that he referenced it today. He was so transparent in this interview that he had. Like it was really, really refreshing to hear because he really gave us insight on everything. Like he gave us insight on why he took the job, how he feels he's going to excel in the job. If you haven't watched it, it's on the Sens YouTube, 28 minutes long. It's really worth your time. Um, Great questions, of course, too. And, and yeah, I mean, that, that was the biggest thing, stability and the fact that they genuinely care. And that's so, like, I don't even care about Ryan Reynolds anymore. I was very disappointed when Reynolds dropped out and that whole thing happened. Like, I was upset. I mean, I was really looking forward to that. Um, but now, seeing how it turned out, I have to say, I could not care less about Reynolds not being the owner and and obviously Dubis coming in, too. Like, I don't even want the flashy stuff. I want the, the stability and I want the genuine passion and care. And I think, too, just seeing Ann Lauer already expanding and spending money on these types of roles, because obviously it costs money to hire a president of hockey ops. It's pretty significant money. Um, I think that's a, a good sign, right? That's a sign that he is going to stick to his word of, like, he doesn't care about spending money. It's about winning. And he knows that winning, like, that. that's where you can see through it a bit. Is he, he obviously knows he's a smart guy. He knows that winning is how you bring in money, too, obviously. And and But at the same time, like, he's a champion. Like, he wants to win at the NHL level. He's won at the OHL level twice. I think he just wants to carry that success and so does Steos. So, yeah, I mean, I just, there's no negative to this. It's another home run and another great job by the organization to kind of uh, putting that session together because it was last second. Like they, they sent out the stuff last second and got a bunch of people there and they, they went for it. So awesome job by everyone. This, uh, there are brighter days and we're, we're kind of living them now, honestly, like this should be, um, this should be a huge step forward this season. Let's just hope now that the on ice product follows because off the ice this summer, things probably couldn't have gone much better. Uh, like I'm biting my tongue cause I'm so used to things not going well that I'm nervous to say they are going well uh but now it's just the on ice product because there would be nothing worse than this awesome summer everybody's in place we're happy about it all and then the sends just like finish 24th in the league and it's awful uh so hopefully on ice follows but yeah i think they're set up for success regardless on and off the ice with uh with Steos in there now yeah i saw someone tweet that they, they think because things are going so well there's a meteor coming to to you know hit hit earth and we're never going to get to see the the fruits of this labor but yeah another i mean quickly before we wrap up here like you mentioned how Ann Lauer was with Montreal. Um, Steos was with Edmonton for last uh, last season, and last season for the Edmonton Oilers was was one of their best in a very very long time. Like he they they that he he said it himself. He said that's a top class organization, and he wants that for the Ottawa Senators. Like I want a Steve Steos jersey. I tweeted that out. Like I I love this guy. The address was perfect for me, um, and it's stability. Uh, I'm blanking, man. It is a long day over here, but uh, stability, co collaborativeness, and uh, best in class. That was the message from Steve Teos, Teos this morning, this afternoon. So that's what we're going to leave it on right now. Um, that's been episode 43 of the Everyday Sense podcast. Thanks, everyone, for joining. And uh, before you leave, if you're in the chat and you don't happen to be subscribed to the YouTube page, just hit that subscribe button. 
Also head over to everydayascends.com for weeks. I've been teasing that I was going to write and I decided to today with Steve Steos's announcement as president of hockey operations. So we thank everyone for watching us live, leave a like and uh, subscribe to the YouTube page and also head over to manscaped.com and use code sense 20, tell a friend, refer a friend and let us know what you think in the comments afterwards. Thanks everyone. That's been episode 43 of the everyday sense podcast. We will see you next time.